This is Secrets to Win Big, your roadmap to sustained growth. Brought to you by Arjun Sen, founder and CEO of Zen Mango, brand whisperer, top brand growth driver, and a former Fortune 500 executive who has been called one of the most marketing intelligent minds in the business. Find him at zenmango.com. And now, here's your host, Arjun Sen. Welcome to Secrets to Win Big with Arjun Sen. I'm Arjun, welcoming you to this edition of Secrets to Win Big. Winning is always fun. You know, what I've found is winning big puts you on the path to long-term sustained success. And in this podcast, you will hear from leaders from around the world and all walks of life sharing their unique paths to win big. Today, my VIP guest is one and only the Lane Cardwell. Lane Cardwell is a highly respected rock star in the hospitality industry. He has been on the senior management team or board of 44 restaurant concepts. And let me repeat, 44, and has worked with over 100 restaurant concepts or companies as president or CEOs. He has been on four public restaurant boards from Brinker, P.F. Chang's, Famous Dave's and Ruby Tuesday to private restaurant or restaurant technology boards. Along the way, he was the founding CEO of Eatsy's Market and Bakery, CEO of Boston Market and president of P.F. Chang's China Bistro. Currently, he's on the board of major organizations worldwide. Until the shutdown, our nation's uh, shutdown of our restaurants, Lane ate at 600 restaurants per year. Wow. <laughs> to stay current. That's why it's just from the neck up. And to stay current with trends and concept evolutions. He likes to help concept leaders see the big picture to facilitate continuous business development. Lane Cardwell brings a big picture perspective to an industry of details. Nancy Hampton, another restaurant industry rock star, very highly respected, described Lane as one of the most knowledgeable and respected restaurant strategists of the last 20 plus years. Wow. Welcome, Lane Cardwell. Thank you, Arjun. I noticed that uh, the time period that Nancy picked excluded the 11 years that we worked together. So she just wanted to leave an opportunity for a few other people. She just did not want to say for the last 50 years. So I think that's the <laughs> So Lane, you know, all through, you emphasize on the big picture. Why is it very important for business leaders to see, you know, that big picture for continuous business improvement? Well, the big picture is a lot like Google Maps. If you zoom in, you can see the neighborhood streets and houses very clearly, even the swimming pools. But you don't really know where the streets lead to. When you zoom out, you get a better perspective of the world around you, and it helps make your uh, decisions more relevant. Wow. And how is continuous business improvement, why is that important? Why is the emphasis on continuous? When I think of business improvement, I approach it from the guest perspective, not business efficiency. Everyone in the company is working on business efficiency. I focus on what are we doing to make the guest experience better than it was? 
New concepts are constantly opening with the latest and greatest. If you're not moving your business in that direction, you're falling behind. This is true of any industry. So guest experience is a word or phrase every business, every brand uses. So what's the difference between memorable guest experience lane and things which just don't hit the mark? Well, the, what you're working toward is trying to be something that people look forward to the next time. People get used to the experience they have, and they come back to you because they like what they have. But you're not the only restaurant they dine in. Around you, they're seeing new things open, new ways of doing things, service styles, products. And if you're not attuned to that, and if you're not participating in that, you'll lose people by becoming stale. Brilliant. So you need to stay attuned with all the changes and participate and influence that and be at the leading edge. And that's what continuous improvement is. Yes. You know, and at least moving in that direction. Restaurant companies have a lot more uh, tools to work with than a lot of other companies, whether it's the uh, product, the atmosphere, the service style. We have a lot of things that we can respond with. So... Going back to your amazing career, what would you say, you know, pick one or two of your biggest success stories, and more importantly, what's the secret behind those successes? Well, the one thing that I'm proudest of is the renewal of the Boston market concept in 2010. I always try to be a, a spark plug to the management team. Management team's the engine. At Boston Market, it was the best management team that I've ever worked with before that or after that. They'd all been together 10 or 15 years, loved the concept, loved each other. But along the way, they'd lost faith in their future. I was their seventh CEO, as I was told numerous times. It took nine months of digging, but once we figured out how to rejuvenate the brand, mm -hmm. they knew exactly what to do with the end. But this is where I learned a lot. As good as that management team was, it was the hourly employees that saved the company. Once we figured out what we wanted to do, we held a series of three-hour employee meetings in hotel meeting rooms across the country. We shared our detailed plans with 10,000 employees and told them that their hospitality was the key to the turnaround. No hospitality, no turnaround. And we role-played what uh, that hospitality would look like. Their smiles, welcomes, thank yous, and goodbyes made it work. And what it proved is what I've always known, but never been involved so uh, closely with it. And that's to never underestimate the power of the people on the front line when you involve them in the solution. Never underestimate the power of the people in the front line. Yeah. So, Ling, you talked about no hospitality, no turnaround. A senior leader from Boston Market, you know, when I talked to him about, you'll be at the VIP guest today at the podcast, he got very emotional and he explained to me, and these were his exact words, just when every team member felt that the company had stopped believing in them, Lame Cardwell came in with the belief that every team member matters, can be a star, and worthy of respect. 
it's a very deep level connection so on a human level how did you get to that you know reach that level well, I guess everybody does it differently. For me, I try to create an environment that's risk-free for ideas. And that was the whole goal with Boston Market, was to come up with an idea that would change our trajectory toward one of success from the path that it was on. Now, the lower you can keep your own ego, the more room that others have to grow around you. Many times people feel their bosses don't want their ideas. I'm not that kind of boss. Mm -hmm. Also tell people, I'm new, you're not. Do not let me make a mistake with our business. And over time, people uh, realize you mean it. And it was amazing how many times people would come up and tell me I was making a mistake. Along the way, though, you, you come up with the answer. Mm -hmm. So to me, in the business world, I hear this quite often, is create an environment for risk-free, for idea generation. But the challenge is, how do you create it? And the two things that you shared right now is really brilliant for all of us is one, you know, keep your ego outside. And secondly, create the feeling that boss or bosses or management team likes your ideas and by sharing, you're preventing them from making mistakes and they're grateful to you for that. Right. Really love that. Well, thank you. It certainly worked with Boston Market, but they were open to being successful again. Mm -hmm. So, Lynn, if we take all your success at the restaurant industry, and in a lot of us today listening to you, we are not in the restaurant industry. What would be some universal secrets that you would love to share that will work in any industry anywhere? Well, I think the same things that work in this industry work in others. It's no different. You really need to uh, get the most out of people by first believing in them. If you can't believe in them, they shouldn't be there. A lot of people have a lot of ideas if they've been with the company for any period of time. They've just never been asked to share them. They'll share them with each other. They'll share what they think is going wrong with the company with each other. But you need to get them to share that with you, too. I was a big believer in uh, daily, certainly weekly communication to all employees. Mm -hmm. Tell them what we were doing, why we were doing it, and uh, what we hope to accomplish with it. If it didn't work, I would then tell them it didn't work. Here's why it didn't work, and here's what we're going to try next so that there's always a feeling of involvement and participation. So if you joined in late, you're listening to Lane Cardwell in Secrets to Win Big with Arjun Sen. Lane Cardwell is one of the most knowledgeable and respected restaurant leaders and big picture strategist of the last 30 plus years. And most recently, right now in the last five minutes, what Lane talked about was in any industry, a few things that work, is get most out of people by first believing in them. Secondly, communicate very frequently. It could be daily, weekly, whatever it works. But make the communication continuous, which means tell them what worked, what didn't, why it didn't, and how would we change. And that was the total transparency that Lane Cardwell was talking about.
So Lane, now going back to what made Lane Cardwell so successful, what was, you know, who or what one instance or incident inspired you the most? Well, for me, I was fortunate to have worked with Norman Brinker for 20 years. Joined Norman at Steak and Ale, followed him over to Chili's, which became Brinker International. And Norman's one of these people that any interaction you have with him, you leave with more energy than you walked into the room with. Norman made you feel like you were capable of doing anything, and he'd be surprised if you didn't do great things. Norman never told you what to do. It took me a while to realize he wasn't forgetful when he would ask me the same question day after day. He was giving me a chance to correct my answer. And in doing that, he's not telling me what to do. I'm, I'm learning how to uh, think better. Norman always saw his role as developing leaders. It was the leader's job to run the business Norman's job to keep developing the leaders to run the business better. It was like a, a man, it was like a doctor bringing in uh, multivitamins. When Norman felt like we were a little light on creativity, he brought in uh, Mike Vance, who was the head of the Disney University, taught us creative thinking. When Norman felt like we were having trouble working together because everybody wanted to be the boss, Norman brought in uh, Stephen Covey, and Stephen worked with us over a period of many years, teaching us the uh, seven habits of highly effective people. And when Norman felt like we just weren't getting the basics of management correct, he brought in Peter Drucker, the father of modern management. Norman uh, thought big, but made people feel bigger. He was an amazing man. And I don't think anyone has done more for the industry or, or the leaders in it than Norman Brinker did. Wow. So a few takeaways from, you know, Lane. First of all, thank you for sharing incredible learning and lessons from Norman Brinker, an amazing mentor. One is you leave with more energy. That's really priceless because many a time, anytime we meet with that super CEO or leader, we just leave relieved that we survived this round and we're leaving with, you know, all body parts, limbs, everything to fight another day, but leaving with more energy, that's priceless. Secondly, reminding of what your capabilities are, because many a time when we get beaten up in the corporate world, we start playing safe and somebody reminding you. But the third thing that you mentioned, it really touched with me because it reminded me of you know, my favorite boss in the corporate world, of course, you know, never, you know, I call him more of a friend, a leader, Blaine Hurst at Papa John's, Panera and Boston Market. And it was bizarre after Lane retired when we were having a conversation. I just remembered in all these years, he has never told me what to do. And that was fascinating because I remember a few times even I had asked Blaine, so Blaine, what do I do? And he would always smile with confidence by saying, you know the answer. And then he would smirk and say, if I told you what to do, why do I need it? I'm like, of course, that's a great answer. And that's the part where that commonality between amazing leaders who are visionaries. And another thing, I think in full circle, you started the conversation about continuous improvement for businesses. What you also showed me, that leadership development is also a continuous process, that even the best of leaders, 
need help to get to the next level. And the super leader's job always is to find out what you would need tomorrow, like the multivitamins. I love that example and bring it to you on an ongoing basis. One of the things that I learned from Norman very quickly was just because you had a title, it didn't make your opinion any more valuable. Norman listened to everybody in the company. Mm-hmm. We used to hold off on some product rollouts because John in accounting would go to Norman and say, hey, I heard we're doing this. Mm-hmm. I don't understand why, because the Norman would come to us and go, John is worried about this. What do you think? Mm-hmm. And if he didn't, if he didn't like the answer, we held off until we could answer John's answer correctly. Everybody had input in the company. So what was a couple of Norman's most commonly used sayings? Like what did he live by? Principles, values, anything that you want to share? Well, Norman was a big believer in knowing where you're going and then sharing it with everyone. He was a big believer in uh, first things first and make sure you focus on the things that matter. Norman was big on, uh, again, he let the business leaders run the business. Norman created an environment that made it more possible. He focused on health and exercise. Mm -hmm. He paid for corporate memberships for all employees at the uh, aerobic center in Dallas where people at lunch would go out and run and talk while they run and come back energized. Norman had a ranch. He developed a, uh, a ropes course, a challenge course on it, wow. where we would bring in all of our managers uh, monthly. And for three days, they would participate in that. It was something that all people at Brinker had in common. Mm-hmm. But Norman also believed in hiring right. Norman was one of the first ones to use attitude testing, psychological testing, you know, testing for intelligence. He was just a big believer. And then and then, fit of the team. Mm-hmm. Norman found over time that cer- certain personality types thrived in that kind of uh, environment. Some didn't. So Norman made sure to keep replicating the personality types that thrived. And even though some may be qualified to avoid those that may be uh, problematic to the rest of the group. So that's a good transition to the next area is... You've hired a lot of successful leaders who went on to become leaders in big organizations. What were a few traits which are very important to you when you are hiring a future leader? One of the first things I look for is uh, whether the person's a good communicator. And in that, you know, can they speak clearly? Can they make themselves understood clearly? Are they honest in their communication? Uh, A lot of times you can tell in an interview whether a person is just honest about themselves. And do I think this person could be transparent with the rest of the organization as they leave them? The second thing would be a positive attitude. This I learned from Mormon again. It's hard to do positive things with negative people. Positive people create positive things. And it gives you the ability to, to motivate and to inspire. Lastly, is this the type of person who has the ability to delegate? Or are they going to be the type of person that's going to come in and tell everybody what to do and hope that they're right? 
you know, when you have the ability to delegate, you're going to get a lot of trust out of your people and you'll get the most out of your team. I've always thought it was uh, sadly humorous that people would try to tell other people what to do when they had no idea how to do that person's job. Hmm. But in hiring, bottom line, the last thing I ask myself is, is this a person that I would like to work for? And if I can't say yes to that, it's not a higher recommendation from me. So you heard here first, Lane Cardwell is interviewing you. The four things he looks for is number one, clear communication, which is defined by clarity of thoughts. Second, how honest you are, how transparent you will be to the organization. Secondly, are you authentically positive? Because positivity has to be authentic from the heart. Third is how well do you delegate things instead of telling people what to do? Because, you know, this is what I have learned you know, with my, all my failures in relationships. I'm a relationship expert that I've learned is you can tell me what to do, when to do, but not how to tell me how to do it. And that's where the fun is. And the last, which I really think was brilliant, Blaine, when you talked about was when you hire somebody, you look at whether you want to work for that person. Because if you don't want to work for that person, why would you subject your team to work for that person? Because I really think that was you know, Lena, true integrity issue that you revealed. Most of us do not see that. So, which is, you know, kind of brilliant. Appreciate that. Absolutely. Lynn. So, Lynn, you know, in the business world, many a time we face eminent failure and we get worried that that failure will define us. But some of us are fortunate to be part of amazing teams. When we look back, we did something different to turn those failures or you know, near failures into major wins. Can you give me an example in your amazing career of an example just like that? And what did you and the team do to turn that failure into a success? Well, this, uh, your question made me think of one that I've never shared before, and it's probably one of my favorite things to think back on. Ken Dennis was our head of marketing at Chili's, and... Ken was approached by Southwest Airlines who wanted to introduce a partner pass where you gave somebody a pass and they could fly with a full paying passenger. Southwest's idea was that they would let us distribute those through the restaurant. Ken's idea was you buy an entree and we'll give you a ticket to fly anywhere that Southwest flies if you fly with someone who's paying. Amazing, amazing offer. Our only obligation was to put several million dollars worth of marketing behind it in the markets where it would be running, where Southwest was flying. So we you know, looked at what the payback was. It was gonna require over a 20% lift in sales in those markets just to break even. And as we got close to the time to kick it off, the Gulf War broke out. The government is on TV warning people, do not fly unless it is absolutely necessary. They're worried about terrorist events. And every, every time you turn on the TV, do not fly, do not fly. I said, Ken, remind me again what it is we're promoting, a free airline ticket. I go, okay. So Ken and I were convinced that the offer was compelling enough that it would probably 
be better than the warnings were. Mm -hmm. uh, we needed Norman Brinker's approval, a lot of money at stake. So we called Norman in, we gave him a presentation, showed him the pros and the cons. We showed him the huge hurdle that we had to achieve to break even. And we kept pointing out the risk with the uh, government warnings. And I pulled out a pair of dice and I said, Norman, this seems like one of those times where you just have to roll the dice. I said, mm -hmm. let's do it this way. You roll a seven, it's a go. Any other number, we'll take it off the table. Well, loaded dice will only roll a seven. Norman took those dice, rolled a seven. He said, it's a seven. I said, Norman, seven means go. He said, let's go. And then I said, Norman, you know those dice are loaded, don't you? He goes, oh yeah, I knew that. I wanted to go anyway. That promotion during a time of war and government warnings about not flying, that year we exceeded our profit plan by 70%. All corporate employees got 240% of their bonus and all officers got a Rolex watch. Wow. And what it taught me was sometimes you just have to roll the dice. And also it took a lot of courage from both you and Ken to commit to a decision that you put the dice in front of Norman and you guys had a plan because you had a plan on how to move forward to make it happen because you know, I don't want all of us here to just think that you guys rolled the dice and it will happen. You both knew what to do and it was flawless implementation that followed that took you guys to the next level of success. Well, I uh, appreciate that. We wouldn't have given Norman loaded uh, dice unless we were completely convinced mm -hmm. that it had a chance to work. But you never know till you do it. We either could have lost several million dollars at a time where that was a lot of money to the company, or we could have missed one of the biggest opportunities the company had ever had. And we were fortunate to have had the loaded dice lead us in the right direction. So how do you get to that point of total certainty? Like, how do you know you have you're, you're there? Well, you, you never really do. And that's the brilliance of what Norman created. We knew if we were wrong, we were just wrong. We, he wasn't going to fire us. He wasn't going to yell at us. He wasn't going to demote us. He had prepared us over many years to look at that type of situation and make that type of decision. But we wanted to be sure to bring him in on it, not just have it happen. So you're listening to Secrets to Win Big with Arjun Sen. My VIP guest today is Lane Cardwell, one of the most knowledgeable and respected restaurant leaders. The man that everyone wants to talk to and sit at a meeting or conference because you'll learn more from his comments and asides than from the paid expert or speaker. And whoever made this amazing testimony and comment, I can vouch for it because I have learned so much sitting with you at Meg and other conferences. I've enjoyed it myself. And don't underestimate yourself. People are learning from you every time they sit around you also, myself too. Thank you, Lane, for that kind comment. So, Lane, you know, in the field you are, with every restaurant now, especially changes coming at a much rapid pace, how do you help businesses and brands 
to feel the pulse of guests constantly? Like, how do you see the next big idea and not miss it? At the same time, not jump at every micro trend. The thing that's helped me over time is I eat in a lot of restaurants. As you mentioned earlier, up until the shutdown, I eat in about 600 restaurants a year. I do it for a lot of reasons. One is to look for what evolutions are going on in the concepts I compete with. Second is, what are the new concepts that are emerging? And are there enough of them in a collection that they even might represent a new segment or a new style in the industry? You know, we're very fortunate that for the price of a meal, you're able to stay so close to the industry. Mm -hmm. One summer, I worked for General Motors on the assembly line. And one of the things that fascinated me was the first day on the job, they told us that every year, GM bought every competitor's car and disassembled it down to the parts and reassembled it so that they would understand what they were competing with in the marketplace. They would spend, you know, tens of thousands of dollars per car to do that. We're lucky for 15, 20, 25 dollars. We're doing the same thing. By doing that, you're able to engage in conversation with your team. And if if your team is not doing that, pretty quickly they start doing it. Mm-hmm. Most people in our industry tend to focus on the restaurants that they run mm-hmm. and occasionally reach out and look at other competitors. I keep a list of restaurants by city that I've read about, heard about. And when I'm in that city, I already have a working list of where to go and why I'm there. There may be uh, eight or 10 or 12 that I have a list of. I'll have on there who told me about it or how I learned about it, why I thought it was interesting enough to put on a list to visit. And then I'll go and look at them. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I'll look at a list And I'll look at my travel schedule and realize I'm not going to be in that city for a long time. I'll go to that city for the specific reason of just looking at those restaurants. Wow. So translating that to any business, it's all about seeing what your competition is doing at both a big picture and micro level. And big ideas does not always come from your biggest competition. You know, what Lane talked about initially when he sent me on his bio 600, I thought it was kind of funny because I wanted to look at multiply by two and come to close to 730 and wanted to ask him, what are you doing for the other 130 meals? Exactly. But then I realized, no, it's not funny because this is a man for that 600 restaurants. There is a plan behind it. All of these have gone through some kind of a scrutiny that is there, which is a process is required which gets you the trend because the new trend does not come from reading a magazine. You need to have your own process discipline to get an understanding of where the next trends are. So Lane, with all the wisdom, if Lane from 2020 could go back and advise Lane Cardwell, fresh out of college, what would be one piece of advice he would give him? This is a loaded question. (laughs) Will he also tell him, buddy, stay in the restaurant industry? Or if the kid does not want to be in the restaurant industry, what other industry would you ask that kid called Cardwell to get in? 
what I would tell myself and what I tell others is your, your first job will not be your last job. My first job was working in an industrial chemical company, answering questions from salespeople who called in. Worked there six months. Had an opportunity to join Brandeth Airways in their training academy. Worked there three years. Left there and started a uh, retail and restaurant marketing research company. What I learned from that is you were a lot better at that than I was. Hmm. And then I joined Steak and Ale. But my advice to people is your first job will not be your last job. But on every job that you're in, learn everything you can while you're working there. If you're not able to learn anything, leave. That's why you're there, especially in your first few jobs. Be open to unexpected opportunities, but don't just change just for change sake. But ultimately what you're working toward, what your goal is, is to be asked to join a company, not to be asked to be hired. So along the way, you want to develop the kind of reputation, the kind of skill set, where the people you've worked with who go off into other companies go, if we could just hire that person, we would be very successful. As opposed to you going to that company and saying, can I work here? So like my first job in this country, when I was doing my MBA, was to work for a local consulting company in Provo, Utah, where I had to answer the phone. And there's a, there are a few words I cannot say. <laughs> and the name of the company was, that I'll try my best to say that, do not laugh, because executive excellence. And I said it like executive excellence, okay? And every time people thought we excel in killing people, okay? But I stayed in that job, and my biggest win there was to meet this most amazing human being who I've never forgotten, Rod Fudge. Rod Fudge was the best salesperson ever. And he took pride in two things. Number two, he knew that everybody knew more than him and he wanted knowledge to flow to him. But number one was the way he introduced himself. Even today, when I call Rod, uh, Rod Fudge, he says, Rod Fudge, Fudge, just like in candy, yummy. Wow, what an intro. So thanks for reminding me of my first job and, you know, of Rod Fudge. So finally, Lane, you know, for any leader of highest level, what I see is a process. You know, we talked about so many times in this conversation about process. So for you, when you start your day, what's the first thing you think of when you start your day? And what's the last thing when you're winding down your work day? What's the last thing you think of? If you want to share with us, please. The first thing I think of when I wake up is what kind of world am I waking up into? Things happen real time in all time zones. I'm involved with a company in Saudi Arabia where it's morning here, it's evening, almost evening there. So what I do is I spend the first hour of my day reading online news, Wall Street Journal, New York Times, local papers in Dallas, all the industry publications, their daily alerts. And then I go through my emails. When I'm done, I then try to decide, did I learn anything or see anything that makes me want to change my priorities for the day that I had set yesterday? Maybe an emergency arose. Maybe something came up that is more important than what I thought I was going to work on. But I like to start off informed and know what has happened. And if nothing changes it, then I 
go through the day at hand. The last thing I think about is when the day is over, was I merely busy or did I actually accomplish something? And if I sit honest with myself and say, you were very busy, but you really did not get anything done. I try to correct that the next day, but I, I too try to be very honest about what did you, what did you accomplish? What will it lead to? That's brilliant. Lynn, what's the best way for those of us who do not have access to you right now? How can they best reach you? Best way to reach me is uh, just through email. Lane at cardwellhospitality.com. If we've worked together before, I love hearing from people I've worked with. If we haven't worked together, I like hearing from people, unless you're selling me something, then probably not as much. But I do like to, you know, just stay in touch with people. It's a big industry. There's a lot going on. And, you know, it's like the three blind men trying to describe the elephant. No one person can properly Mm -hmm. Uh, put their hand on this industry and say, this is what it is. You have to compare notes with a lot of people. And I love doing that with people. So the email is lane, L-A-N-E, at cardwellhospitality.com. Yes. So, Lane, this was an incredible learning session. My big takeaways are, number one, big picture in the business world is like a Google map. You need to zoom in and zoom out to see where each road is leading to. I just can't believe in all these years, you never have shared that one wisdom with me. I was waiting for the podcast. <laughs> no, I still have a longer list. Just to hold on, please. The second is the role of a leader is to be a spark plug to the engine of the team to get them going. Number three, to create a risk-free environment, which all of us aspire to do, it starts from one, lowering your ego or keeping it outside. And secondly, remind everyone that by sharing, they reduce the number of mistakes or your mistakes. What you showed us also on hiring future leaders Communication, which has to be clear, honest, and transparent. Positive attitude, how important it is to delegate. But the most important was you showed with integrity when you hire, you really hire people who you want to work with or work for because you don't ever want to pass on a leader to the team who you don't want to work for. I also liked when you talked about, especially for those of us early in our career, if you cannot learn in a job, leave now because there's somewhere else you can learn. And the flip side also is, you know, when you've arrived, when you're asked to join a team, instead of somebody very aggressively trying to hire you. And finally, you know, to me, it was very important for all of us to reflect at the end of every day, where we just merely busy, because it's very easy to do busy work, but it is truly accomplishments that take us to win big. So thank you again, the Lane Cardwell. <laughs> thank and you, Arjun. Truly a pleasure. Thank you all for listening to Secrets to Win Big with Arjun Sen. For those of you who are listening to this live on Facebook, I truly appreciate all of you taking time on a morning to listen to. 
and thank you again please share this podcast with your friends and any like you share or any comments it truly is an honor and a blessing to me to get those thank you again you've been listening to secrets to win big with arjun sen founder and ceo of zen mango brand whisper top brand growth driver and a former fortune 500 executive who has been called one of the most marketing intelligent minds in the business to learn more visit www.zenmango.com share this podcast with your friends and subscribe wherever you like to listen to podcasts this podcast is a part of the c suite radio network for more top business podcasts visit c-suiteradio.com